If you're a visitor, we, as I said earlier, have been doing John's Gospel from last September. It took us a year, and we could have taken many more years. And um, then you come to come back to pre-season, as I kind of call this, after a holiday, and you're thinking, well, there's going to be a lot of empty pews, so you don't really want to start anything too uh, meaty too early on. And yet... You've come out, and um, you're important to get a good sermon. So what do you do as you're pondering that as you come back off holidays? I was really taken by this John chapter 21 chapter when we were looking at the betrayal of Peter, the denial of Peter. And we'll come to that in a second. And like many times during John, I was kind of coveting my assistant's passage as he preached certain bits of John. So had John 21, there's something in here that I would really like to get back to, and then I did all this reading and listening. And though I was pulling the reins in and never put down a note or did any theological reading while I was away, the antenna's up and you're dealing with, when you give God that kind of space, you can be sure God will use that kind of space. So, I want to in the next... 15 or 20 minutes, or a couple, maybe more, to try and look at this John chapter 21, throw in a few thoughts that I've had to deal with personally and vocationally over the last month, and see whether Peter's story in John 21 and some of these personal wrestlings I'm having might, by the Spirit's grace, meet us where we are. I want to start with the title. Wake up and smell the charcoal. It was last, early in the year, it was the school run, which doesn't happen for another few weeks. Yes. And I got up as usual, Janice kicking me, and got myself ready and got out to the car, but had to open the gates it's a committee thing, Gordon, we need to look at those gates. But anyway, as I'm opening the gates, I had this moment where I was back in Cape Town. It was one of those wintry mornings, and there was a mist over the Black Mountain. You couldn't see whatever those kind of slogans they put up on that mountain every morning was. There was this mist in. It was a little chilly in the air. And there was something in my senses of smell and feel that had me back in an early morning in Cape Town, going out to get the van, to go and pick up students, to go out onto a township where the mist was still in, and it would rise a little bit later. I was right there. It was a real sense of right there. I Facebooked it a bit later to some of my friends who were with us in Cape Town, and John Martin, who'd been with us in a few teams, said, I was out doing the bins this morning, I thought, I'm in Cape Town. And Chris Guinea, who was driving to work, said, I was driving down the M1, and I thought, there's too many buses behind me. This is so like Cape Town. Three of us, different places, but something of our senses took us somewhere we had been. And I'll be honest, it's a lovely moment when you're back in Cape Town. Peter, 
when he got onto that beach and smelt the charcoal, where did it take him? Where did it take him? When was the last time, probably not the last time, but where was the last time that Jesus was in the neighborhood and the coals were bringing up that smell? For Peter, he must have been back in that moment of denial. What's this chapter doing? Why is it there? It's a mystery that it's there. John's finished. The end of the chapter before he says, the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We're done. And then suddenly with this other chapter, what's it about? What's it for? Now there's many reasons scholars have suggested it's there. One of them being that there was a rumor that John would not die before Jesus returned and that this was added on to show that actually Jesus didn't quite say that. He said, if I should want that to be the case, it would be the case. But we're not going to go into that. What I want us to think about is Jesus not as a reactor to what we do, but as a mentor, being strategic in how he works with us. Because we could see this as, ah, Peter did this, so Jesus had to react to it. Peter denied him, so in order for him to take this church forward, Jesus was going to have to do something on the beach to redeem that in Peter's life and to make sure Peter knew that it was all right before we could move on. There's a certain degree of truth in that, but I want us to see it from a more strategic way. Let's see it from the outset. Have you noticed in the reading, Jesus doesn't call Peter Peter calls him Simon. He finishes that wee blurb by saying, follow me. Simon, follow me. It's the end of the gospel, but it's the beginning of the other gospels. Jesus at the Sea of Galilee says, see see Simon the fisherman. He says, Simon, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And from that moment, Jesus is mentoring Peter. He knows Peter. Says it right here. Peter says to him, you know that I love you. Because Peter knows that Jesus knows. So what does Jesus know about Peter? Well, we know more about Peter than we do about any of the other disciples. The foibles and quirks that Peter had, if I ask you, I tell you what you need to do, you need to write a 1,000 word essay on the personality and characteristics of one disciple. Who are you picking? Bartholomew? Peter, you've got story after story. He's always doing the crazy thing. He's always reacting before he thinks. He's got foibles and quirks that are just, what is going on with that guy? And Jesus knows that. We know that. So my goodness, Jesus knows that. So how does Jesus And Peter's foibles and quirks start to work out around those foibles and quirks, not only how am I going to sort this guy out, but how am I going to make him the leader 
of the church. So when it came to that bit, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Peter, I don't wash, I don't wash my feet. There he is again, reacting. How is Jesus going to mentor those foibles and quirks? So when he comes and he says, I'll follow you, I'm going to lay down. Peter, Peter, you're going to, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times, Philip. How did Jesus say that? Did Jesus say, oh, Peter, come on, stop all that nonsense. I'll tell you something, fella. Or did Peter put his, Jesus put his arm around Peter and say, Peter, you're just going to have to bear with me here because the truth is this is going to get so hairy and scary that actually before the cock crows, fella, you're going to deny me. Bear with me here. What was Jesus doing with Peter? What will Jesus do with us? How will he redeem? My summer has been spent with a big spotlight on my foibles and quirks. My foibles, they're weaknesses. You could almost call them sins. Quirks really aren't. They might actually be part of the creative order. So all this is not about our sinning or the wrong things that we do. There's some of our foibles and quirks that are actually part of what's good about us, like Peter. Why was Peter a leader in the church? Because of these quirks. He was going to go. He was going to be a doer. He was jumping at the bit to get something happening. That was something that the mentor saw was a positive thing. But what he had to do was work around the foibles and quirks to get it guided in the right place so that he wasn't chopping off people's ears. He was feeding the lambs. So what about us? As I read Jan Carson's new book, one of my old students, crazy stuff, magic realism she calls it, and that is crazy stuff, but it's amazingly good. Remember that name, Jan Carson. She talked about all these people who things happened to them early in their lives that stuck with them until they're in this residential home in Portland, Oregon, later in life. Things that happen to us early in life that we carry with us, that become part of our foibles, quirks, idiosyncrasies. As I read Haruki Murakami's book, Norwegian Wood, I bought it because it had a Beatles title and got into something heavier than I ever thought that I was getting into, He talks about our inability to recognize and accept our own deformities. Just as each person has certain idiosyncrasies in the way they walk or talk, people have idiosyncrasies in the way they think and feel and see things. And I started thinking about mine. And that can take a while. And then I started thinking about yours. And that can take a while. And then I brought it back, as you do, to Scripture. And I thought, how do you feed the sheep with all their idiosyncrasies, foibles and quirks? The things that happened to you and me way back that we're still carrying. The things about our personalities that are different than our personalities. 
the different way we see things than the way other people see things. And actually, it's just the way we see things that cause us to have friction between each other. Because we think the way we see things is the way to see things because of the experience we've had in our lives. It's actually just the way we've experienced our lives, and they've experienced their lives differently. And because they think differently, doesn't mean they're bad people. So I started to think about the family of God and Fitzroy and how do we love each other around our foibles and quirks. That's the strategy we need to find pastorally because we've all got them. And whether the way you see something is so different than the way I see something that we can't get on about that something, we've got to work out how do we love each other around that. Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. There's an objective redemption has happened between the denial and the charcoal on the beach. Jesus has died and been raised to life. There's a theological objective redemption for Peter's life. All his sin has been dealt with. Jesus has come through the tomb. Resurrection has happened. New possibility of life for Peter objectively it's done, but Jesus is never happy and content with just the objective. He wants us to know it subjectively. So what he had to do was get Peter around the charcoal, see him feeling, and give him not three denials, but three questions. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. Of course he loves him. Can you, you, that bit where the foible and, and quirk comes again, where John says to him, probably John, it's the master. As soon as Peter in that boat knows it's Jesus, he doesn't do what the others do and get the boat in. No, no, he's out of the boat. Because he has to go for it. He's jumping at it. I want to see Jesus. Now that's really interesting. Yes, this is the third time that Jesus appeared to them. But that charcoal, that denial must have heavily weighed on Peter. How can I ever get over that? How can I ever come through that foible that I had, that weakness in my character that just couldn't stand up for my Savior. How will I ever be able to do anything for Jesus now? But he's still there, still on the beach. And Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you love me? What? Three times. You know I love you, Lord. But the three times to Simon, the pre-redeemed, if you want to call him that, follow me. It's a brand new start. Peter is not only objectively redeemed on this beach, he is subjectively redeemed on this beach. Jesus is dealing with those fault lines underneath the surface of Peter's life that he knows need to be dealt with before Peter can really do what Peter is going to do for him. What are the fault lines? What happened to us? When did we deny? When did our foibles show up? Yes, we might say this morning, I know I'm objectively redeemed. I know Jesus died for me. I know I'm raised to life. I know it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's why I'm here. But still there's some fault line under what Steve's looking at right now that I have never been able to deal with that I just cannot put together. The mentor wants to deal with us subjectively as well as objectively. Jesus wants you to smell the charcoal 
Go back to that point. Deal with that point. Be healed and restored subjectively as well as objectively. My challenge for the year is, how do we under unpack this idea of our foibles and quirks, idiosyncrasies? How do we strategically love one another around those? Because some of us, and we really need to just get the arm around the shoulder and say, come on, you are better than you think. There's some of us, good kick up the rear end might be a better approach to that. We've got to work out, how do we do that? You do that with your children. We need to do that with each other. Find what it is we are. Find out who, what, and then bring about this vocational thing that comes at the end of this redemption for Peter. Feed the flock. Yes, it's my job. I'm good living for a living, as my friend used to say. But it's all of our jobs. We've got to come to terms with the fact that there's foibles and quirks in every one of us. And we've got to love and spite. In fact, I'm going to unpack this, you can tell, for a long time. In fact, I'm thinking, you know that thing that really annoys you about that other person? That's not something to judge them with. That's the Holy Spirit telling you the foible and quirk you've got to love around. That's an opportunity, not a negative. It's a positive. Ah. I got that weakness in that person. Don't bang them over the head with it. Work out prayerfully. Right, that's what they're like, or that's how they think differently than me. Okay, how am I going to love them around that? Because we're objectively redeemed in Christ. But the way Jesus subjectively redeems us is sometimes, yes, straight by the Holy Spirit, But a lot of the time, it's through each other. That's what we're here for. To feed the lambs. To look after the flock. To subjectively redeem those already objectively redeemed. Will we do it together this winter? Will we try our best to work out who we are? Put up with who we are? Love each other, not in spite of it, but strategically strategically to make us into the people of God that can bring in fish, as John, Jonathan was talking about the other week, and also pastor the flock. Let's pray together. Our God, we can live our lives sometimes And ignore the fault lines underneath. But something might happen, Lord, that pushes those fault lines and our lives could come crashing through the spiritual earthquake. Help us, Lord, to allow your spirit in so that we're not just aware that yes theologically and with our creeds that we are saved and redeemed but 
But so that we allow you to come in underneath the surface of our lives to bring healing and repair to our souls. As Peter experienced on this beach, redemption of his particular foibles and quirks, as well as the redemption that was for his eternal security. And as Jesus mentored Peter, as Jesus got to know him thoroughly so that he could love him around what he got to know, may we as a congregation not only know you dealing with the fault lines of our own souls, but may we give ourselves to you because we're declaring that we love you so that we can care for each other. So that we can heal each other. And so that as a congregation, we might deal with those fault lines. That we can move forward into a building project and then the opportunities and possibilities that that building will bring us to reach out into this community. That we will be the people of God loving you called to minister to one another and to reach out into the world. Lord, we thank you for this story of Peter. And we thank you that you mentor us just the same. May we know as Peter knew, redemption in the core of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.